Welcome to Backroom Talk. Uh, question for you. Yeah. When was the last time you had blood work done? Our blood tells us a lot. I don't think we always have to stand behind like the, this is outside of my scope of practice. But if we had Sally's biomarkers and we could look at, you know, how, again, that A1C has shifted from 12 months ago to today, that's a really compelling story to be able to tell. To listen to more Backroom Talk, be sure to subscribe. Learn to design personalized programs with the OPEX system of coaching by heading to opexfit.com. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Backroom Talk. I am Georgia, here with Carl. How are you today, Carl? I'm doing good. How are you, Georgia? I'm doing very well. Uh, question for you. Yeah. When was the last time you had blood work done? Oh, man. Uh, two months ago? Month and a half ago? How regularly do you have blood work done? Um, gosh. I used to go. I used to go once a quarter. Now it's like uh, three times a year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, is that something you'd recommend to all of your clients and to coaches listening? Um, at least once a year. Yeah. yeah at least once a year. Um, I don't think everyone needs to go three or four times a year, um, unless something's being worked on or focused on specifically uh, where they're expecting change. But yeah, definitely, I think everyone should get. Everyone should definitely. I mean, even people's doctors recommend at least once a year that they get blood work done. Um, I would say that people need to expand outside of the, you know, seven to 10 markers that your doctor recommends getting tested. But yeah, I definitely recommend everyone getting tested a few times a year. We don't need to go into your like personal blood work and uh, like medical history or anything like that. But have there been any, uh, I guess, like really valuable insights from mm. the perspective of your health and fitness that you've like, you've looked at something like on you know, a lab report and being like, I'm actually, I'm going to make a change here. Like this is actually going to influence what I do in program design for myself. Um, yeah. From a health standpoint, um, I, I have a family history of um, high levels of, uh, let's call it cholesterol, right? So like high levels of LDL. Um, so if I'm not careful uh, in terms of not careful, if I don't pay attention to the amount of like saturated fats that I eat, I'll always come back a little high LDL wise. Um, you know, and that, that was really clear, uh, when probably gosh, five, six, seven years ago, uh, when I was like eating a lot more fat than I eat right now. And I would see my LDL scores, um, kind of sore during those times. And there was like a clear, like, as soon as I bring those down, I eat less coconut, less coconut oil, um, things like that, those things, uh, the LDL dropped pretty drastically, pretty quickly. Um, and that's just like family history stuff. Um, from a, from an exercise standpoint, um, not really, I mean, the one for me, it's like, you know, I just, I kept an eye on, uh, free and total testosterone. Um, I saw a, a huge dip during my military years. Um, and that was just like stressors of not, not that I was like emotionally stressed out, but just stressors of like always being on the go chronically under underslept and under recovered and stuff like that. Um, we were going through like big phases of training, uh, getting ready to go places. Um, so I saw that and had to pay attention to that and, uh, really focused on, okay, what can I do to combat that? So kind of in the back of my head, I always knew like, okay, I have to really focus on recovery. I have to really look at what I'm doing in the gym. And is that, is that decreasing or increasing that number? Um, and gosh, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, I didn't really understand. I, I understood, but I didn't know why I wanted higher levels of test. I was so young, right? Sure. I, I wasn't really worried about the things that I'm worried about right now. Not worried, paying attention to right now where it's like, yeah, I want to make sure that my testosterone levels stay as high as possible for as long as possible. Um, 
you know, being over 35 years old, that's something that a male has to look at, you know, but I was, when I was 25, I was just like, oh, okay, I want to, you know, continue to put on muscle. I want to have really good energy, uh, when I wake up, things like that. Um, so from a training standpoint, not, not really. Um, well, yeah, I guess so from a testosterone standpoint, um, there's some things that I tweaked back then. Um, right now my, my blood work doesn't really, uh, influence my training because my training is so steady and I'm not doing anything, you know, overly intense. I'm not overtraining. I'm not under training, whatever the heck that would mean. Um, I'm pretty consistent, um, with the types of training that I do. Um, so I don't really see anything too crazy from a training standpoint, looking at my biomarkers, but yeah, definitely people that I've worked with, I've seen some, some interesting things come back in biomarkers that relate to their training. For sure. I, um, this is just like, uh, I do, I do blood work on an annual basis and had done when we first started working with inside tracker, we'll talk a little bit more about that later, but had done a test just like maybe two months after having COVID last year. And that was really, really interesting to me to see how uh, an illness like that can actually affect so many of your biomarkers in ways you may not understand. And you can feel pretty good and pretty recovered, but there's still, still some stuff happening under the hood that uh, you probably need to be mindful of, uh, shoring up recovery and making sure you're giving yourself opportunity to get back to full immunity and uh, you know great balanced health. I'd never really seen like, I, again, doing blood work on an annual basis, had never seen like any issues in like blood glucose, HbA1c, uh, cholesterol, all of that stuff like always looked great year over year. And then I had this one test and all of a sudden my like A1c was slightly elevated. My cholesterol was slightly elevated. I'd never seen these things in a bad place. And I freaked out and was like, what am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, what am I doing wrong in nutrition? I haven't really changed anything too much, but it was a really like freak out moment for me. Like, uh, oh, is this just me getting older and having to pay greater attention to these things? Am I actually having ice cream too often? And didn't realize I was, but sat down, chatted with my doctor and she's like, you just went through a massive inflammatory process overcoming COVID. Cut yourself a little bit of slack. We did blood work a couple months later and everything had just gone back is to normal thing? levels. Is that a thing? COVID affecting biomarkers? Yeah, yeah. At least in the like kind of three to six month window after the yeah. doctor was like i've seen that time and time again uh, in patients where these like metabolism markers get like massively skewed or even just a little bit skewed, yeah, yeah. which can be alarming for someone that's like i'm healthy i'm mm -hmm. steady <laughs> yeah so yeah just keeping keeping that stuff in mind when you go and get blood drawn is really important and that was an Im important lesson for me because again my initial reaction was to be alarmed and to think i needed to do something different, mm -hmm. but it's really just giving your body the time to recover. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't, I didn't, I've never, I, I, I think I've heard you say something like that, but I never really looked into it. Um, cause I've had my, I've had COVID a few times and <laughs> have had blood drawn, um, once, no, twice within the six months after three to six months. And I haven't seen any differences there. I mean, one time the, when I got COVID the first time, I don't know how many times I've had COVID. The first, let's just call it the first time, it wasn't that bad. And then the last time it was uh, much worse. Um, so I don't know if it has something to do with how the illness affects you specifically, but that's interesting. Like, is there, did your doctor mention that she, is it a she? Yeah. She sees differences in biomarkers after having something like the flu as well. She didn't mention that. Yeah. We were just talking about COVID specifically. I'm trying to think of like the mechanism, like what, what is the mechanism that would cause 
uh, cholesterol and uh, uh, A1C and stuff like that to be all over the place. Yeah, I, again, I don't know. I'm like okay. going going by her word, and uh, she's like, her explanation was you've been through this big inflammatory mm-hmm. process. It t- it's going to take your body some time to come back to homeostasis. Yeah. And again, I see these metabolism markers shifted in people in the months after an event like that. So that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I'm looking at that after this. Something to keep this. in mind. Cool. Uh, so yeah, I, again, I think it's important. Uh, I clearly do it, um, and would be something I would recommend to anyone listening. Take a, take a look at that stuff. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about, um, the importance or lack of importance of biomarkers, um, from a coach's standpoint, right? Like working with your clients or even with yourself, it's like how, how beneficial is it to look under the hood? Uh, what are those benefits? What are some things? to maybe pay attention to, um, uh, from a coach's standpoint, when are you kind of getting outside of that scope of practice when asking a client to go and get their biomarkers checked and you being the person that's going to give them advice and, uh, give them feedback based on those biomarkers. Yeah. It's a, something that's really alluring and appealing. Like I know myself as a coach, I'm intrigued by understanding biomarkers. It seems like a pretty like sexy, exciting service offering to be able to order labs and you know have conversations like that with your clients but there's always that moment of hesitation where it's like okay let's be real what do I really know what can I really know from my perspective as a coach having like read a little bit about vitamin d levels and uh how that may or may not affect someone's health and what you can or cannot do to influence those things and I think pretty quickly you realize it's incredibly complex and unless, unless you've been through really robust uh, medical school training, you can't truly understand uh, how to read lab reports and how to give someone advice. And legally, you can't do that either. You can't just say to your client, hey, I'm a fitness coach, uh, go to your doctor, get these labs done. You can't look at those labs, read them and tell them what to do based on those labs. Like mm-hmm. that would be outside of a coach's scope of practice to do that themselves. Ooh, maybe. Depend. Um, yeah, location depe- dependent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So let's let's say that we're living in a world right now where, um, let's say that we're not living in a world, but for this conversation, let's say that a coach has full reign. Right, a coach can do whatever the hell they want in terms of giving a client advice based on, like, the coach can say take more vitamin D because your vitamin D the vitamin D levels are low. Um, Make sure if you're a coach and you're and you're unsure, if you live in that world, make sure you know the laws, right? Based on where you work. If you're working remotely, make sure you understand, you know, does your client that lives in Alabama, are you beholden to their laws or you living in Texas, right? Um, make sure you pay attention to that stuff. But I think it's, I don't think it's that complicated. Um, I think we... Let me qualify that. I think it gets complicated when we try to like connect a bunch of dots and we try to give uh, like very, uh, you know, let's call it like A to B prescriptions. Like what I just said, your vitamin D levels are low, get more sun or take some vitamin D if you don't have sun, right? I would just call that a A to B prescription. An A to D prescription is like your vitamin D levels are low. I'm going to correlate it to this other thing over here, which is correlated to this other thing over there. It's like, okay, that gets a little bit tricky, right? So let's talk about A to B prescriptions based on um, biomarkers. I think a lot of coaches are afraid to have a conversation around that, but it's like, 
why, right? It's like, I, I don't think, and I know you're not saying this specifically like the A to B piece, but why can't we look at vitamin D levels and use common fucking sense and say that your vitamin D levels are low? This is how you get your vitamin D levels up based on this paper, this paper, this paper, this paper, personal experience, right? And just common sense, right? It's like, go and get more sun. Um, so I think, I think that there is a, a huge barrier and maybe a fear from a coach's standpoint to take a look at biomarkers. Um, but I don't think that fear should be there. I think if you're uncomfortable with having the conversation with your client on, you know, a biomarker that you're unfamiliar with, use that as an opportunity to get familiar with it. You know what I mean? Like, I just don't think that there needs to be this massive barrier up, uh, when looking at someone, when looking at what's happening in someone's blood. Absolutely. Uh, I completely agree with you on that, Carl. Where it gets fishy is, like you said, when you're trying to draw a bunch of correlations between different biomarkers and then trying to arrive at a very complex supplementation regimen to be able to fix that. Or you're giving (coughs) prescriptions that aren't what we would give to people anyway, which Mm -hmm. are the basic lifestyle guidelines, right? Telling someone to get more sun exposure, to sleep more because it may improve their, you know, glucose metabolism, to uh, be be eating, you know, a range of healthy fats and making sure they're not getting too much saturated fats. Like these are things that we would give as a prescription to our clients anyway. These are conversations that we would be having anyway. You can just be a little bit more targeted with what you focus on if you know what that client is uh, kind of going through from a blood work perspective. Like, for example, if vitamin D is low and that's a priority, I know that we're spending a good amount of our consultation for that month talking about why vitamin D is important and uh, some ways that they can in their daily routine ensure that they're improving levels. Uh, The other area where it gets a little bit fishy is when there's like family history issues Mm -hmm. that you can't, you don't really understand how... uh, Again, having a family history of a certain disease, how that may or may not be playing out in that blood work. And that's where it's like, all right, maybe have this conversation with your doctor. Yeah. Or ask, is there like the the, the, the example that I use, right? Yes. It's like, you know, if, if I get, if I, if I eat a bit too much saturated fat, I see my LDL go up, right? Um, if I had a coach, I would expect my coach to ask me, hey, do you have a family history of higher levels of cholesterol? Um, I would say yes. And then my, I would expect my coach to then say, okay, try these very simple things and let's see if that makes an impact, but also have a conversation with your doctor, right? If, if you have the ability to do so. Um, so I think, I don't know. I think, I think we have to not align on, but, um, yeah, I think, I think it's, it's important to align on what, what the hell is a coach's role in that? I think a coach's role can be very, very big. Like, I, I think it could be a very robust thing. I don't think we always have to use the excuse of, like, this isn't my, again, pay attention to laws. that Those are really important. You don't want to get yourself in trouble. But I don't think we always have to stand behind, like, the this is outside of my scope of practice unless it actually is, right? And it's very difficult to say what is inside of a coach's scope of practice globally, right? Because my scope of practice is probably different than your scope of practice, Right not from a legal standpoint, but what we're comfortable doing, how, what we're comfortable talking about, things like that. Your scope of practice is different than the next coaches. So I think every coach needs to understand and identify what is their personal, what are their personal limitations as a coach and push themselves to expand those out a little bit. Because if we always just say, this isn't within my scope of practice, I'm going to outsource to absolutely everything. It's like, what the hell are you there for? And you made a really good point. It's like, 
maybe think about that if you're going to prescribe something that you're that you're unsure uh, what that thing is going to lead to, right? If if you're already saying like, you know, you really need to get enough sleep, you need to take care of yourself, you need to move your body on a daily basis, and you see a biomarker that's outside of an optimized range, and you know that the things that you're already telling your client uh, they should be doing will help get that inside over closer to that optimized range, that's a great opportunity to, to connect the dots there, right? Vitamin D levels. It's like, okay, what, what do we know, right? We know that a percentage of vitamin D that is absorbed is absorbed through the, the skin, right? It's a very low percentage. It's like 15 to 20% is ab- absorbed through the skin, but it's like your vitamin D levels are very, very low. We need to get you up any way we can, right? maybe consider taking a vitamin D supplement. But before we do that, what if we just go a couple months and we we just expose a percentage, a high percentage of our skin to the sun on a daily basis? We do that for 30 minutes every day, and then we recheck. And before we recheck, it's like, okay, what are energy levels, right? Like your vitamin D levels are like in the shitter. Do you feel that? Like what is your energy like on a daily basis? And if they're like, oh, I feel like absolute shit. It's like maybe the goal isn't to get their vitamin D levels up. Maybe the goal is to make them feel good. So you're kind of just like going back and forth. And I know it's like more of like a a holistic approach. Um, But I think it's important for a coach to identify what their role is. And like you said, prescribe things that you're comfortable with prescribing, right? Prescribe what you know. Um, If you know the thing, go ahead and prescribe it. Who gives a shit about scope of practice if you're staying within it legally? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think uh, where it gets interesting is kind of challenging coaches to do a little bit of the research into the lifestyle and nutrition behaviors that we talk about in CCP and how those do or don't connect to specific biomarkers mm-hmm. because like in, in our education in OPEC CCP, we lay out principles and we lay out the science of, uh, you know, the importance of certain nutrients in the diet, the value of getting sun exposure, the value of uh, making sure you're getting in a good amount of daily activity, but where coaches can, I guess, make themselves feel more confident in actually connecting the dots between those principles and then what they're seeing in blood work from clients and how they're having those conversations is like okay let's uh let's just take an hour and let's do a little you know research online on vitamin d levels and how those are connected to certain health issues Mm -hmm. what is you know proven in research to actually support increased vitamin d levels and okay now i feel like i'm in a really good place where i'm not only telling my clients to walk in the sun because because opex told me to i'm telling them to walk in the sun because i've done my own research and i feel really good about this yeah and i guess the the reason why i feel so strongly on the scope of practice thing is because it's like you get to a point and you're like okay if it's not within my scope of practice um and again i'm going to keep qualifying this legally there's differences between um let let me I'm, I'm not going to use scope of practice anymore because I think that's a bit confusing. Sure. I'm going to say um, if it's not a limiter of mine, right, yeah. like a, a knowledge gap of mine, um, scope of practice, will keep that to, to legal, right? So if it's within my legal scope of practice, but it's a knowledge gap of mine, and I'm just using the scope of practice excuse, it's like because there's a knowledge gap, who who is going to step in, right? Who is going to step in? I've met a lot of doctors. I've met some really, really good doctors and I met a lot of really shitty doctors as well. I don't feel comfortable saying, oh, this is their job, right? Go to, go to a doctor, right? Go to like a, 
your family doc and say, I want to get blood drawn and go through that process with them. And I'm not going to say it's good or bad because there's, there's likely some really good doctors out there that are giving you some awesome feedback and it's going to be a, a very fruitful conversation. But anytime I've ever gone through blood draws with a doctor, like a personal doctor, it's been a complete waste of time. I could have Googled, I could, I've could have Googled my uh, results and like, okay, what are normal normative ranges, which are just like, it just encapsulates 90% of the population and just says, if you're here, you're good. That's, that's the conversation. That's the extent of the conversation that I've ever had with my doctors. Not once has it been like a, okay, I've had some, some pretty good doctors over the past few years, but before that, not once has it been like a, how does this connect to what you're doing in movement? How does this connect to lifestyle? Like never, never came to that. It was kind of what you were saying on like a supplementation protocol, even with some of the good doctors. It's like, okay, put this thing on. Uh, we're going to do some brainwave activity. We're going to do this massive supplement protocol. You're going to spend probably $1,500 a month on it. And hopefully it helps. It's like intuitively, isn't that weird? It's like, why can't I get to baseline without spending $1,500 and putting technology on my head? Right. It's like, what, what did people do a hundred years ago when mm-hmm. they wanted to be healthy? Right. And I'm not, I'm not one of those people that are like, we need to go back to what we did a hundred years ago because people didn't live as long as we do a hundred years ago as we did now, but there were still healthy people walking around a hundred years ago with really good biomarkers. Um, but I say that to say that the scope of practice thing, if we leave it to uh, a family doctor to play that role in all of our clients' lives, if we're able to do it, they're probably not ever going to be helped. Absolutely. I mean, I can think of um, many glaring examples, and I don't want to shit on doctors because doctors, like you said, some of them are doing amazing things. Yeah, yeah. Some of them are just not properly equipped to have mm-hmm. those conversations on how can we actually use nutrition as a... Uh, medicine how can we use lifestyle as med- as medicine rather than popping you on a pill or just brushing this under the table uh they're you know overworked underpaid and again just may not have the education uh because they're so focused on treating the problem that's immediately in front of them and don't have the ability to go deeper so again i don't want to make this a shit on doctors conversation because no, uh, i don't think we are yeah yeah i mean i don't think we're shitting on doctors or coaches but i think what we are saying is doctors and coaches need to understand where those knowledge gaps sit definitely so just as we're saying a coach shouldn't like cover up a knowledge gap with a bunch of prescriptions that they have no idea what they're going to lead to a doctor shouldn't do that either yeah right But I don't think we see that a lot from doctors. I think doctors, most of the time, they understand that knowledge gap is there. They're just too prideful to admit it. So they just kind of leave it. Yeah. I, um, my father-in-law had gone to the doctor with, uh, like elevated lipids years ago and, uh, was advised to go on a vegetarian diet, cut out red meat, uh, don't eat meat, which is fine, right? There may have been some good value in the idea of like let's reduce saturated fat but there was no follow-up in how do we actually make sure that the nutrition we're taking in without red meat is healthful so now it's a diet of no red meat but like plenty of cookies and diet soda Mm -hmm. what i'd love to see is that doctor begin that conversation with the client and refer them to go see a nutritionist or a dietitian or a coach who's educated enough to have the conversation of okay we've got this starting point uh we know that we want to improve this let's make sure we actually see you follow through on uh the doctor's good intentions 
because the doctor isn't able to do that. No. Like they can't. They can't follow up with a client on a monthly basis to check in on food logs and make sure that things are moving in the right direction and give them advice on how to incorporate they can, vegetables they in their don't. diet. No. They can, they just don't. Absolutely. It's not like uh it's not incentivizing to For do sure. that in the way that most practices are set up. Yes. Um yeah, that's that's a good point, right? It's like imagine imagine giving a prescription with no follow up. That's kind of weird, right? Like that's that's weird. Um you know, because even if even if we even if we're really confident in what that prescription is, right? Like let's say that um and I'm going to speak to what I know cuz you know, I'm I'm not sure what's going on and uh all doctors' brains, but I'm pretty sure we have a good idea of what's going on in most coaches' brains. Let's say that, you know, you have you have a client and you're like, okay, um, we, we took them through this FME, right? We wanted to test the eight rep max uh, dumbbell external rotation. So I'm just going to give them a lot of dumbbell external rotation. Imagine just telling a client that's yours, someone that, you, someone that pays you, right? Imagine telling them like, hey, I want you to do uh, dumbbell external rotations. And I want you, and you're, you're pretty prescriptive. You're like, I want you to do 30 pounds, three times a week, 10 reps at three, zero, one, one tempo go. And like, okay, cool. And they're like, how long do you want me to do that for? And you're like, okay, cool. Good question. Six weeks. And they're like, okay, great. What is this supposed to do? Oh, it's going to improve this, this FME that we just tested and six weeks passes. And they're like, okay, now I'm just going to stop because the prescription is done, quote unquote. And they never test that thing again. And you never have a conversation with them again. And they come back to you or it comes back up in the program design 12 months later. And you stayed away from dumbbell external rotations because you gave them the prescription, they did it, they took it as prescribed. And you retest the external rotation. Sorry for doing that with my hand. Uh, You retest the external rotation. And they got worse. And you start the conversation, you're like, well, what have you been doing? It's like, well, I did the prescription. You gave it to me. You said six weeks, you said three times a week, 10 reps, three, zero, one, one, 30 pounds. Like everything was solid. And you're like, okay, let's do that again. <laughs> and it's the same prescription, right? That sounds so ridiculous and so funny, right? Like you're, you're smirking right now. Um, and I'm sure people listening to this are like, yeah, that sounds ridiculous. No one would ever do that. That's what's happening. That's what that doctor did with your father-in-law. They were like, hey, you know. I'm going to slap this prescription on you. Um, and I'm not going to say that that's a bad prescription, right? But there's a lot of data behind red meat um, and LDL, right? Um, there's a lot of data on, you know, uh, uh, fatty animal proteins and LDL, right? So cool. But you got to have some follow-up, right? You have to have follow-up. You have to have maybe a more nuanced conversation on like, I want you to do this thing, but I also want you to consider all these other things because we don't want other shit to go awry either, right? I don't want your insulin to be affected. We want to improve your LDL levels, but we don't want to make your insulin go into the shitter either, right? But that that likely wasn't there. It was just like a boom, slapping it on, do it six weeks, seven days a week, and, and keep rolling, right? Or maybe in this case, he still doesn't eat red meat. I'm not sure. Um, but that sounds ridiculous. We would never do that as coaches, right? So... Um, we shouldn't, we shouldn't do that ever, right? When we're, when we're telling someone or asking someone to do something, when that person is paying us money, right? They're paying us a service. There should always be follow-up on that thing. 
I think it's a very similar conundrum we run into when rehabbing injuries as well, where someone has gone to see a physical therapist and they go in three days a week for a month and the physio gives them, you know, a printout piece of paper with a bunch of exercises that they're going to do three sets of 10 of and they tell them to go off and do those exercises once they've, you know, signed off on their nine sessions or 12 sessions that they're doing and they do that for you know, a couple of weeks and then they lose interest. And uh, the thing that was an issue comes back. Uh, there's never any like real progression uh, in that physical therapy. And then they show up uh, to you as their coach, you know, months or years later uh, with this history, with a, you know, movement issue that was never really resolved because mm-hmm. there wasn't that proper follow-up. And now they're expecting to go from this like place of like minus three in movement to, uh, being back and thriving and like just crushing it in the gym. And again, there's just this big, big disconnect because that physical therapist isn't able to be with them on a consistent basis, helping them implement good movement or movement into, you know, their daily routine and in, into what they're doing in the gym. So, yeah, I think it's just like from the from the medical lens, it's a struggle in how do we actually follow up and appropriately pro- appropriately progress someone once they've left our office? And that's where the coach, we believe, should come in. I think there's closer connections in the movement world now. Like you see a lot better relationships between coaches and physios in their local area uh, who have these like open communications and can send clients back and forth as needed. And saying a lot of physios that are coaches. Yes, which is yeah. awesome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you don't really see that in the, in the like yeah. GP, like mm-hmm. general practitioner world yet. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think we ever will in that world because that that's, uh, gosh, that's such a... If you just think about the amount of, because everything, everything goes back to like the model, right? Like what kind of model does that profession sit in? And for a general practitioner, the model is pretty, it's pretty, it's pretty connected to insurance here, right? So in the United States, that model is very connected to insurance because it's connected to insurance. There's, there's uh, rules that GPs have to play by. Um, and within those rules, there's like, where do I see my clients? How do I see my clients? Uh, the amount of time I allot for each client, how many clients I have to see per day to make this model viable financially for me. And you're starting to see like physios kind of reshape that world. Um, we started to see that like 10 years ago, really, where it was like no longer the 15 minutes in and out. It's like, we need to go one hour. Right. And it's like to go one hour, we have to actually charge more money. Right. Um, to charge more money, we have to get clients that are willing to pay more money. So you get clients that want to pay more money. That client has to have a certain knowledge base to understand the value behind that one hour versus the 15 minutes that they can go down the street. So I think the model that it sits in um, is really important to consider and like the limitations that like a general pra- practitioner may sit inside of. And I don't see a bunch of GPs also coaching on the side because of the the model that they sit in the i mean financially the cash that they would make being a general practitioner depending on what kind of practice they have um and if they have the bandwidth to actually do something else uh in conjunction with that or on the side but i think at the end of the day it's we just have to be better as humans and be a little bit smarter when it comes to our own health Mm -hmm. right um and i know that's like a that's like a 
that's a very it it's it's a lot easier said than done um if you get someone that like from a coach's standpoint and a gp standpoint and a physio standpoint like imagine if all three of those professions they were like okay i don't want to just prescribe things i want to also teach things as well right um go to you go to like frank right um frank tardy right um you go to him with an issue right and you're like hey i have this thing going on in my neck right i'm gonna come to you i'm gonna get needled i'm gonna do uh this 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 it's like when you go to him he's probably not just going to like hook you up needle you not have a conversation with you boom you're out he's probably going to talk about what you're doing right what are you doing in training right uh do you notice anything when you wake up do you have like a crick in your neck here here oh maybe try to do these things this is probably where it's coming from right like a guy like him um a physio like him he's like i'm going to treat you but i want to teach you so you don't have to keep coming back to me right imagine if a gp thought the exact same way imagine if a coach thought the exact same way where it's like i'm going to continually teach you about this thing um now we're gonna have a bunch of people walking around that have like a knowledge base right the, the people have to be willing to be taught right they have to have enough interest and i think everyone should have a lot of interest in their health um i think it's crazy if someone doesn't care about their own personal health because nothing else matters if we don't have our health um but if we had people asking better questions, if we had people that uh, understood how ridiculous the uh, I'm going to tell you to eat a vegetarian diet and also like not tell you you can't eat cookies or like for you to think in your head eating cookies is, is a good idea. It's like that's it's, it's easy to say, oh, it's not that person's fault. They just don't know. But I think we have to eventually get to a point where it's like it is your fault, right? Like you have to, you have to care about your health. There's some things that are common knowledge, right? Like, you know, and I'm not picking on your father-in-law here, but you have to know that eating cookies isn't healthy for you, right? And they're going to look at you and they're like, yeah, of course. And they're like, well, why are you trying to lower this LDL thing by going on a vegetarian diet? So you're, you're, you're health conscious. You're doing something to improve your health, right? They're going to be like, yeah, of course. So why are you eating cookies and, and you know that this is going to affect everything else negatively? And what they would probably say is like, well, my doctor didn't tell me to not eat cookies. My doctor just told me to go on a vegetarian diet. That it's like, you understand that's stupid. Like that makes no sense. You understand that's stupid. And they're, they're, I hope some common ground could be found in that conversation. I get it. Um, sometimes it's tough to find common ground. But I think people just have to be, people just have to be smarter, right? Mm -hmm. People have to be... People have to have better common sense when it comes to their own health. Um, I think it starts there. But, yeah, it's like who's, whose job is it to teach those people that thing? I would argue that it's the job of the person that they're paying uh, to treat that thing, to prescribe something against that thing, whatever the case is. I think we all have to do better as uh, professionals in the health and uh, in fitness world uh, to take that onus where it's like, yeah, I want to teach people to just do better so they don't need me to hold their hands. I don't need them calling me at week seven saying, well, what do I do now? And it's like, I already told you what you did, right? Like I told you that six-week thing, and then I told you, gave you some idea on like how you can carry that forward. Let's uh, let's come back to blood work just a little bit. And I want to talk about where it fits in the assessment process because we have 
as OPEX coaches, when we, we take a client in, right, like our typical initial assessment is going to be OPEX body, where we look at body composition uh, and markers inside of that. We're going to take them through OPEX move, where we look at our movement patterns, uh, how people are moving, some core endurance pieces, things like that. And then we're going to take them through OPEX work to see how they react to a little bit of work. So our 10 minute assault bike. Do you think we should have blood work as a part of that initial process? Uh as a fitness coach. I do. Yeah, I do. Um, I get it that the problem that we're going to face is, you know, we have conversations with people. I'm like, hey, this is how you talk to your clients around like getting on an in-body machine and their fears around getting on an in-body machine or their fears and these like preconception that they have uh, when getting on a a bike and doing a certain amount of work because it's going to hurt so bad. Right? Like those preconceptions that they have, wherever the heck they got those from. People are afraid of needles. <laughs> uh, that's yeah. No, seriously. They are there. People are afraid of needles, right? Like it freaks some people out to even think about, I have to go and I have to watch my blood being drawn out of my body. I want to be like very empathetic to that and understand, like I, I get it. I really actually don't like looking at the inside of my arm, which mm -hmm. sounds irrational, but you, you might notice if you spend a lot of time with me, I don't like when people touch my wrists or my like inner elbow and I don't like looking at them. Like I'll do everything I can not to look at my wrists because I'm not into veins. I don't like blood either. Mm. I don't enjoy the process of getting blood done. There's a lot of things in life I don't enjoy at all. Like they make me feel like kind of ill but I still do them because I know that they're important for my health. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you. But people, you know, people don't, don't, they're, they don't understand that yet, right? And it's yeah. like, you know, I'm, I'm just saying, I, I, I do think it should be a part of the process for everyone because it's so important, not even from like a standpoint of it arms the coach with more knowledge and like gives the coach uh, an opportunity to, uh, you know, look under the hood and look at, another objective measure to understand exactly where that client is but getting blood drawn can actually save people's lives yeah you know what i mean because if you i don't know if you if you go to a just go to a, a health club right and walk around and ask that question that you asked me at the beginning it's like when's the last time you took a deep dive into or deep look into you know 20 plus of your biomarkers you're going to get a high percentage of people that say uh never you know what i mean um, our blood tells us a lot, tells us a lot, right? Like when we get our blood drawn and we see low levels of, uh, let's just call it like uh, WBC, right? It's like, oh my God, those are dangerously low. What's going on? What's, what's happening in my body, right? Um, I need to go get this checked out. Like that can actually save someone's life. Um, if you see someone that's like, you know, their, their A1C is just way outside of optimized, right? And you're just like, oh my gosh, we have to change something here. You may be pre-diabetic. You know what I mean? Um, that's stuff, it, it can save people's lives. So outside of the, the, um, the, it's, it could increase the value of the coach, right? It can arm the coach with better knowledge to give that client a more holistic and more 360 degree prescription in exercise and lifestyle and nutrition Outside of all that stuff, 
I think people should just get their blood drawn, right? And to have someone to have a conversation with and be that like mediator of like, hey, this is what's going on at a very basic level is extremely valuable for every human being. The reason why I mentioned the blood thing is because we've experienced it already very early in this thing where we've had we've had pushback because people are just like, no, I'm good. Like I'm I, I actually don't want a needle stuck in my arm and I don't want four vials of blood drawn out of me to measure 43 biomarkers. And it's like, OK, well, can we just like stick your finger and get seven? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's a that's a big barrier. Um when you first when you first onboard a client, and we all know this, right? We're like uh, anyone that's worked with a with a person, when you first onboard a client, they're just so they're so green when it comes to their knowledge and health and fitness, and maybe their value and health and fitness isn't quite there yet. Um, so, from even a, an economical standpoint, when you say like, "Hey, we need to," you know, this service offering is going to be X X x dollars more because we also have to do this thing um if they don't value that thing it's going to be another reason for them to be like ah, no i'm good but that's the coach's job to like you know explain that really show what that thing is how it can be beneficial for them personally and for the coach it's like hey it's it's, this is going to be really beneficial for me to give you a truly personalized prescription across the board and everything um so very long answer but yes i do think it should be a part of an onboarding process for every client or, um, like, let's say you have a client that's like, you know, uh, I have this doctor that I really trust and this is the only place I'll ever go to get my blood drawn. It's like, okay, let's, uh, let's have a conversation around the results that you already have then. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm with you as well. I think economic reasons, irrational fear of, re- of needles reasons. Yeah. You got to allow people to opt out. I love out. how you said irrational. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be like, After you mean. said, I can be very empathetic. And then you're like, but it's irrational. Yeah, I, I, it's not that bad, guys. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it's uncomfortable, yeah. for sure. No one enjoys getting a needle uh, put into their arm. But uh, you got to understand the difference between having some temporary discomfort and, like, actually being in pain. That's a true issue, like yeah. life-threatening. It's not yeah, a yeah. survival issue. Yeah. But, again, If you get, get sick, it. you're going to get there anyway. They're going to put uh, some needles in your arms with other stuff. But It's going to be much worse yeah. in the long run for you. We're just going to uh, scare everyone at getting their biomarkers. <laughs> so I, I agree. It should be an important part. I mean, there's reasons why you'd have someone opt out of doing OPEC's body, like mm-hmm. stepping on an in-body. Yeah. There's reasons you'd have someone step opt out of OPEC's work and actually doing a 10-minute assault bike. Probably fewer reasons, but still there are cases yeah, yeah. where you may decide not to do that. Mm-hmm. So for sure, you can't make someone go through a process, but... I do agree that it's going to be a much better starting point for the relationship and then a really good opportunity to reassess over time and actually know, okay, I see that they're improving their back squat and I see that their 10-minute assault bike has gone up, but they're here. They told me they're here because they want to improve their health and they want to live until they're 90 and thrive throughout their later years. Is what we're doing in the gym and what they're doing outside of the gym actually moving them towards that or not? And I don't think you can get that answer from an increased goblet squat 21, 20 rep max. Maybe a 21 rep max, but I'm not, <laughs> that, definitely not a that 20. That one extra rep is going to do <laughs> no, it. No, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, it's it's uh, it's a, gosh, it's it's an, objector, an objective measure of health. Yeah. Right? Like we can't, we, we can't say that, uh, we can't say that, someone's 
work capacity is actually an objective measure of health. We can't say it, right? I know that that's been argued in the past, but we can't say it. Like, and it's been proven over and over and over. I've met a lot of people with fucking very impressive work capacity, but when you look under the hood, they're like barely surviving. They're barely hanging on. And that's for a multitude of reasons, right? I don't think it's because um, of, of their outstanding levels of work capacity, but we can't just look at work capacity as being the thing. Um, it's valuable, right? It's valuable. Imagine if, and let's go back to the question, do I think it should be in, in everyone's, uh, you know, initial assessment? Imagine the value that that would bring, right? You're someone off the street, you come in and you're coming in for like a personal training, you're coming in for ID, whatever the thing is you're coming in for for your coach to have this conversation with you and to set you up where it's like, yeah, everyone in my facility, they go through this process. Like we go through body, we go through move, we go through work, we look under the hood, we look at where blood is, we track that over time, whether it's twice per year, once per year, whatever it is. That's super valuable for someone to have that as a part of their system. And it's not only value, valuable because it looks valuable, it's valuable because you can actually look at, imagine having an entire client load of like 100 people on a board and having like, uh, let's just say someone's like A1C, right? And having like A1C trends over time for all 100 of your people. That's really interesting. That's really, really interesting. Imagine like building male and female avatars in your gym around like, uh, like like biomarkers instead of just like one RM in the back squat and 5k rows and so on and so forth it's like that's super interesting for a coach right and that's a that's a huge differentiator as well um, and again like I'm I'm looking at that with uh, multiple hats on I'm looking looking at like okay how how can that coach increase their value and how can that coach increase their service if their service is like if someone's like, if you ask a coach, what, what, why do you do this? And like, I just want to, I want people to be healthier, right? It's like, man, there's, there's uh, arguably no, no better way to gauge health than to look at, you know, a couple of these biomarkers. For sure. I mean, I, I don't think everyone's getting smarter, but I think a lot of people are getting smarter when it comes to the like aesthetics don't always equal health and improvements Mm -hmm. in aesthetics don't necessarily mean improvements under the hood and so your typical gym success story right it's a person you know sally 12 months ago and sally today and sally's been through a 50 pound weight loss and you see her in the same bikini 12 months ago and then today uh do we know that sally's actually gotten healthier from that weight loss we don't really Mm -hmm. uh realistically we cannot say uh that she has but if we had sally's biomarkers and we could look at you know how again that a1c has shifted from 12 months ago to today that's a really compelling story to Mm -hmm. be able to tell and again i do think people are wising up to this idea that it's not just about being skinny health is not just about weight loss and not just about being skinny uh and for sure, there are some really positive things that can come from weight loss if someone does need, does have additional body fat that they need to lose to improve metabolism markers. But again, 10 pounds of weight loss doesn't necessarily mean better glucose tolerance. So yeah. that's just, yeah. uh, let's, let's look at that stuff. Yeah, and let's correlate it, right? Like, let's, let's, let's see if it does, right, yeah. within p- particular populations because we can't, and I know you're not saying this, but we can't say that being 40% body fat is healthy 
right? There's nothing, there's nothing healthy about that. I don't care what anyone says. There's nothing healthy about being extremely obese. Um, and I'm, we can definitely draw some pretty obvious correlations to, you know, 40% body fat. Where is their fasting glucose? Where is their insulin? Where is their A1C, right? With someone that's 25% body fat and where those same markers sit, I'm going to, I'm going to bet everything that I have that, that the 25% body fat person is going to be generally healthier across the board, right? Uh, but it's, it's powerful to be able to have all of those things and look at those on an individual by individual basis and look at them across the board throughout your entire client load and just make your own, uh, come to your own conclusions where it's like, you know, I've read this, I've read that, but man, the hundreds of people that I've coached, I've just seen this to be true, right? It's like, yes, it's empirical, but those are the people that you're working with, right? It's like, worry about those fucking people, right? I don't worry about the other 15,000 people across the country that were in this one study and try to like position that against all of your 200 clients. Um, so I think there's some interesting thing that some interesting things there with like just seeing the truth sitting right there in front of you. Yeah. It's just a, it's a different way to frame the uh, health conversation and looking at the, I guess, root cause of the issue or the, the, the real thing you're trying to move by shifting some other things around by increases in lean mass and reductions in body fat. Uh, Again, we know those things can be correlated with some negative or positive pieces when it comes to biomarkers. So what can we actually do to see a shift in those biomarkers themselves? Yeah. Uh, I love this idea. I think every coach needs uh, this scoreboard uh, to be able to keep, uh, keep tabs on uh, their clients uh, markers. So let's talk a little bit about how they can actually do that. Yeah. I mean, on that, that's, that's something that I've been really excited about. Um, you know, the past, gosh, I think we've been working with inside tracker for about a year now. Um, that was something that I was really excited about with having that opportunity in front of us of like, okay, starting that with our gyms and actually starting us, I don't call it a scoreboard because we're not taking score. Um, we're just the, the data board where it's just like your clients that you've had for three years, are you making them healthier? right? Like that's, that's powerful information. Um, and that's, that's powerful for a coach to understand because they'll know what the hell they're doing that's working and what's not working. Um, but on the, where coaches can get that through, through us. Yeah. So we, we partnered with inside tracker and we've been, uh, refining this thing over the past year plus, and we've made some pretty cool integrations inside of uh, coach RX as well. So, you know, coaches go in there, they, they sign up for Inside Tracker Pro, which is a, a great program. They get a nice little discount, 50% off of all Inside Tracker products. Um, they get a 25% discount for all of their clients. Um, their, their clients get their blood drawn. All of their biomarkers are populated right there in their client profile. Um, so the coach can see everything. They can see where that client is. And we also have Inside Tracker recommendations that are, that are, um, that are sound, right? Very, very sound recommendations that are, you know, science backed, right? Where it's, it's, uh, there's, there's things that we can, uh, be really comfortable with a coach having a conversation with their client and saying, Hey, this is what inside tracker recommends based on X, Y, and Z and kind of, uh, use the art, uh, and, and the relationship to understand, 
what things should I prescribe to my client based on these recommendations, based on what I think they're ready for right now and what I think is going to have the biggest impact. Yeah, I mean, it, it essentially negates the entire first half of this conversation where we're talking about like what is the coach's role, what is their scope of practice, because what this integration uh, and this relationship with Inside Tracker enables you to do is, as Carl said, have your clients through Coach RX order that inside tracker test and go ahead and go through that testing process. The results come back and those are shared with you as their coach. And along with those results, those recommendations coming from inside tracker, which are all science, science based, you know, and as a coach, it's really interesting because uh, there may be a recommendation to increase olive oil intake, for example. And then you can click off and read about why uh, mm -hmm. that increase in olive oil may be beneficial or why they want you to, uh, why, why they want your client to eat a variety of different nuts throughout the week, for example. Yeah. So you've got some really good uh, opportunity to go and dig down that rabbit hole and do some of that reading for yourself. So, you know, clients research comes back and you, or clients data comes back and you see that they've got five biomarkers that they need to optimize. And they've got this list of 20 recommendations from inside tracker. You then get to sit down with them in their consultation and kind of triage. And like you said, Carl, figure out what they're ready for. What are we going to prioritize right now based on what they're capable of doing to try and improve uh, biomarker XYZ over the next month? Have them go away uh, and do those uh, do those recommendations. Put them into practice uh, through your lifestyle prescription in Coach RX, and then retest, see if it made a difference or not. Yeah, in our conversations, well, in my conversations with Inside Tracker, um, that's that's what I've always and and obviously I'm very biased, but that's what I've always said they were missing. Like the they're missing the coach, right? And and that's why they built out this pro program. They didn't build it out because I said that they had already started the process of building that out but that's why they built out this pro programs so they're like we need we need coaches to be the people <laughs> that are actually prescribing these things or pushing these recommendations forward because it could be very overwhelming for someone to look at their own inside tracker account and be like oh my gosh i just got 20 recommendations where do i start right as a coach you know that client you know what you're working on right now you know what they're doing in exercise you know what they're doing in lifestyle um, so that, that information going from inside tracker to coach RX to the coach's eyes is so powerful because now the coach can, can triage those things and understand, okay, I know this person based on what I know, there might be 10 recommendations that they just nix Cause they're like, yeah, we're already working on those things or we've already implemented those things. Let's focus on this one that I think will have the biggest impact. Um, or the coach might look at that and they're like, oh shit, like there's some things in even the exercise prescription that I may be um, digging them a, a bit of a hole, right? It's like, you know, testosterone comes back and it's like in the shitter and they're like, oh man, I'm going through like anaerobic progressions with this person. Maybe I should just like not do that right now um, and really focus on uh, getting their testosterone where it needs to be. Um, so that's what I always thought was missing. I was like, that's why I thought this partnership was just perfect because it's like, we have the coaches. We have very, very, very smart coaches that will be able to go in, read these recommendations. Um, you can hit on the education stuff, but read these recommendations, understand what they mean, and go and, uh, and prescribe really smart uh, prescriptions to their clients.
And we have uh, education from Ashley Reva, who is on the Inside Tracker team uh, as a I think lead scientist is her role. Uh, nu- nutritionist. Lead nutritionist yep. uh, over there. Um, she is brilliant. And through LearnRx, she has put together, we've got five classes where she breaks down the biomarkers into different groups and provides the information that you need to know as a coach, not like an overwhelming, here is a hundred page textbook on, uh, you know, vitamin D, but here is what it is, why it's important. And then what the results mean, what does low versus high mean and how can you actually optimize it? So connected to all of those different biomarkers that you would test through uh, the different inside tracker plans, you'll have those videos that you're actually going to be able to go and watch. So you feel like you're in a good position to be able to then go and have conversations with your clients and you're not just like, uh, winging it. You know, we don't want to put coaches in that position. So to get access to that, like, you guys can do this today. Uh, this is available for you inside of CoachRx. We have a two-week free trial period inside of CoachRx if you're not currently a user, so you can go check it out. If you are inside of CoachRx already, all you need to do is go ahead and click that integrations page at the top and you can uh, get the ball rolling. And I'd encourage you to try a test for yourself first, right? Go through that process, uh, order some uh, blood work for yourself, see what the whole pro uh, process is like and then begin to work that in with the clients that you think it would be appropriate for yeah you get 50% off that's a good deal so So, yeah yeah, take advantage of that thing take advantage of it um yeah I think that's it I think so too yeah I think that's it um yeah I would just leave it on I don't know something that's been kind of lingering in my mind since we started this thing was like the whole concept of like knowledge gaps right um God, just don't don't hide behind those knowledge gaps. I think we just need to always push to to fill knowledge gaps. If they're like glaring, they're right in front of us, and we hide behind them. And that's not saying that you need to know absolutely everything in the world, but if you find yourself hiding behind a knowledge gap, figure out how the heck to fill that thing. Definitely, and uh, yeah, this is the one way we're doing that to help you guys better understand blood analysis and biomarkers. So. Get in there, check it out for yourself, coachrx.app to uh, start your 14-day free trial. That was another episode of Backroom Talk. Make sure you like, subscribe, leave us a review, all those things. Uh, we do appreciate you guys. See you next week. Well, yeah. Um, you know what would be awesome is if uh, we could get people to send us, I know we've done this before, uh, but send us things that they would love for us to kind of jam on a little bit and... Uh, kind of see our thoughts uh, or want to know where we sit on um, in health, fitness, anything. Um, What's the best way for someone to send that stuff over? Send me an email, guys. Just uh, shoot me an email, georgia at opexfit.com, just like the state, G-E-O-R-G-I-A at opexfit.com. But we would absolutely love your input on what you guys want to learn about, what you want us to talk about. So send me an email and uh, we'll make it happen. We need to create a backroom talk at opexfit.com so your email is inundated. But hey, you can handle it. It's all good. I uh, <laughs> I want the connection, guys. Let's, let's, let's chat. Let's email. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye.